I've got some other cool facts about the movie. The piano that was created for the piano scene, I think the original one was quite a bit smaller. And the designer of this for the movie, um, I think his name was Saracini. I could be butchering that. He created a 16 foot version that was selling for $15,000 and it sold like crazy. Oh, he, it was actually made for retail? Yeah. Um, it changed his life because all of a sudden he was making... $15,000 toys for people's room. Wow. Uh, Robert Loja and Tom uh, and Tom Hanks. Yeah. He's fantastic, by the way. Uh, they created like a cardboard cutout that they would use at home to practice. So that was all them. The day of the shoot, Penny Marshall had a couple stuntmen or fill-ins to like do it for them. And Loja's like, step out of my way. I don't know yeah. if he said it like that. They did it, I think, almost in like one and a half takes. They all, they both practiced on their own. So that is 100% them doing the- These guys are pros. It makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Buzz in the Tower, a podcast dedicated to the movies of the 1980s. Prepare to be stuffed in our DeLorean and taken on a trip through the best decade of film ever. Hey, Mo, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. So if you love Caddyshack, The Goonies, Aliens, Weird Science, Spies Like Us, The Great Outdoors, Empire Strikes Back, The Great Muppet Caper, Pretty in Pink, Predator, Rocky IV, Roadhouse, Say Anything, Real Genius, Short Circuit, Some Kind of Wonderful, Beverly Hills Cop, Akira, Tango and Cash, The Breakfast Club, and They Live, just to name a few, then sit back, relax, and get ready to be entertained. Because we came here to chew bubblegum and podcast about 80s movies, and we're all out of bubblegum. If you haven't already, subscribe to Buzz in the Tower on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave a review and a five-star rating. It's a moral imperative! You can also find us on TikTok, Instagram, and all social media platforms by searching the tag at Buzz in the Tower. That's B-U-Z-Z-N, The Tower. Also, check out our website, buzzinthetower.com, and grab some officially licensed gear. It's so choice. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking some up. Now, if you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. Head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash buzzinthetower. With memberships as low as $3 a month, you can have access to tons of extra content, and a portion of all proceeds go directly to Save Ferris. Dakoshane, darling, Dakoshane. Buzz in the Towers brought to you by Sonic Loans. You can find them at sonicloans.com. Special guest Bruce, welcome to the show. I know that you are the last person who cares anything about loans because if it was up to you, you would set fire to the entire financial institution, but you at least know that the best way to be able to afford more DVDs for your collection is to have an outstanding loan and the best place to go is Sonic Loans. Thoughts on that, Bruce? If only I knew Great work, Bruce. Thank you. I want to tell you right now, Sonic Loans is not just the place where you want to go for your loans. Anything having to do with that entire situation, make sure that you're reaching out to Charlie and his team of experts. They're going to take you through the whole process. It'll be painless. It'll be financially beneficial. And I can't stress enough in today's day and age with people trying to rip you off on the back end, PMI, whatever it is, they're going to make sure you stay away from it. Sonic Loans and Charlie, talk to them today. Tell them the Buzz in the Tower sent you and get the best possible deal. NMLS number 1955855. Not available in all states. Not a commitment to lend. Additional requirements apply. Visit sonicloans.com or call 313-488-4888 for more information. Buzz in the Tower is also brought to you by Bolton Legal Group. You can find them at boltonlegalgroup.com for a free consultation. Call 248 248- 
595-0001. Bruce, today we're talking about the movie Big, and despite Ian not being the tallest guy in the world, he and his team at Bolton Legal Group, they're big when it comes to the, the law room. Am I right? Absolutely right. Bolton Legal Group is the team that you want in your corner should a Zoltar machine accidentally turn you into a child and no one believes you. But more than anything else, they are the people that you want protecting you, guiding you, and in your legal corner. Real estate law, business law, bird law, you name it, Bolton Legal Group is on it. Ian and his team are there to support you. They are there to make sure you get through the legal process with no bumps or bruises. Tom Hanks himself, as Josh Baskin, couldn't ask for a better attorney. Reach out to Ian and his team today, tell them that Buzz in the Tower sent you, and get ready for the best legal experience you've ever had. Today's episode, Big. The space goes down, down, baby, down the roller coaster. Sweet, sweet, baby, sweet, don't let me go. Shimmy, shimmy, Cocoa Pop, shimmy, shimmy, rock. Shimmy, shimmy, Cocoa Pop, shimmy, shimmy, rock. I met a girlfriend, a Trisket. She said a Trisket, a, a biscuit. biscuit. Ice cream, soda pop, vanilla on the top. Ooh, Shelly, out walking down the street ten times a week. I read it, I said it, I stole my mama's credit. I'm cool, I'm hot, sock me in the stomach three more times. In 1988, the movie Big broke records, solidified careers, and became an instant classic. Today on Buzz in the Tower, we'll find a Zoltar machine and make a wish as we talk about one of the greatest movies from the 80s, Big. I'm Mo Shapiro, and joining me for the first time ever, the Billy to my Josh Baskin, Bruce Amwake. And with that... I wish I were big. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mo. Glad to be here. This is a really exciting day. I have been for almost two and a half years trying to find someone to replace Max, and he white knuckled holds on to these recording sessions because he knows that if I bring anyone on here that doesn't make me want to punch them in the face for an hour... It's almost a foregone conclusion that he's been replaced. So this is not just you visiting the show. Consider this an audition. Max, I hope you're listening and you never come home from Arizona. Max, I think you'll be fine. I miss Max. Wonderful guy. But today's Bruce's day. This is We're not going to put Bruce in the corner anymore. We're going to cut him loose. Before I go any further, of course, let me remind people who are new to the show, which I assume is going to be almost all of Bruce's family who will be listening this Tuesday. Don't forget, follow, subscribe, leave a five-star review, leave a review. Uh, it helps the show out a ton with its visibility. Max is only able to go on all of his vacations because of all the kind support that you provide. If you're looking for more content, check out any of our social media platforms. Search our handle at Buzz in the Tower, B-U-Z-Z-N, The Tower. Head on over to our website, buzzinthetower.com. Bruce is making sure that at least two of his family members buy a sweatshirt this weekend. You can get officially licensed merchandise from the website. And then if you really want to take it over the top. And I'm not just talking a terrible Stallone movie. Go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash buzz in the tower, where you can join at the level of Iceman, Goose, or Maverick as low as $3 a month. Behind the scenes content. Uh, you can do a live Zoom with Bruce. He'll talk to anybody who wants to put in money. I haven't worked out the contract with him yet, but he's down. I'm down. Good. Excellent. So please make sure that you're supporting the show. Other than that, I got nothing to bring to the table except 
I'm excited to have Bruce here. Now, let me tell you quickly about Bruce, and then I'll shut up and let him tell you a little bit about himself. Part of the reason that we think Max and I have good rapport is Max is a movie nut. I grew up surrounded by movie nuts. My friends and I, our love language was quoting Major League or Best of the Best, any number of wonderful movies from the 80s, 90s, and even more. I mean, we went to, I mean, I can't even think, we saw Team America together, which was a great movie. Yeah. We, there's Nobody was in the theater. Well, allegedly. There's some d- debate on that, but my memory is not as solid as it once was. But that's what led to Buzz in the Tower. It was having these incredible bond with all of my friends. And Bruce and I, how long have we known each other, Bruce? 30 years. 30 years. That's a prison sentence to some people. Yeah, it could have been out of prison by now. Yeah, about good behavior. Yeah, well... No, no chance of that. None. Zero. Our love language in particular with Bruce is is film, movies. Bruce is a film aficionado. Well, let's take it easy on that. You're a lover of film. Yeah, I love I love movies. How yes. many DVDs do you own? How many DVDs did you used to own before they were prematurely removed from your possession? Well, I'll just say now I have about 500, 500 Blu-rays at home. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's modest enough. I don't have the space to have any more, but someday. You have, in the past purchased me the full Rocky anthology. You've gotten me... Did you get me the John Hughes No, I I, uh, I got you the four-pack of uh, Schwarzenegger movies. That's right. Yeah, just on a whim. It was just because you were being a nice guy to me. And, I appreciate you know, that. Yeah. See, Max, I hope Max is listening. He understands what friendship is really like. Gifts of things like Gifts Schwarzenegger. Things, yeah. yes, gifts of things you were stuff. You, you kissed me on the cheek. That's all I was, it needs. I was moved. I'll kiss you on the cheek again for more Schwarzenegger <laughs> films. That's great. No doubt. But no, but I mean, you... I mean, of all the people that I'm friends with... Really outside of Max, uh, Max is one of the only friends I have that I didn't grow up with. You are a old school friend all the way back to our middle school. Derby Dragons represent all SMA wrestler. What other things we want to tell people about you? You got a lot of cool stuff going on. You got 300 siblings. I've, yeah, about seven siblings. I got a lot of things going on, except, right. you know, I don't want to list them because they're not that exciting. All right. So <laughs> today we're going to talk about Big. The great thing about this movie and why I'm happy you and I are talking about it is that I think it hits a chord with something you and I both enjoy about film, which is... The Journey. This is one of those movies similar to how much I love Goonies, The Goonies, excuse me, and I talk about it nonstop. This is a movie that you can enjoy absolutely as an 11, 12, 13-year-old kid, come back as a 40-year-old and enjoy it for all of those same reasons and a whole bucket of other reasons that you didn't even realize when you watched it the first time. And to me, that is the sign of an incredible movie. Forget that it's lasting the test of time. It's generational. Like you yes. really can show this to just about anyone and there's a, yes. a, a gratification you'll get from it. So what Max and I usually do, which by the way, I'm not married to any format because you being the new co-host permanently, <laughs> um, we will hop into a review of what the movie is about. We'll talk about fun facts and then we'll jump into characters in the movie and anything that your heart desires. So I will start with, I think the easiest, which is explaining what this movie is about. Before you get into that plot synopsis, Mo. Yeah, brew. I'd like to dovetail your point about it being a- Oh, I love Dove. I love Dove soap. Dove of chocolate tail, tail away tail away I, the, you you called it i guess generational i mean mm-hmm. i uh, get a better understanding of what i think you mean it is almost like a time capsule you can watch the movie when you're 10 put it in a drawer for 20 years and watch it again when you're 30 and it's like you said going to have different meaning but it almost feels like that was the intent of director penny marshall when she directed it she wanted it to have that mass appeal for someone's entire life i totally agree and i think it speaks volumes to why this movie had such financial success especially at the time because without even needing a time capsule you you probably had a whole generation of people that were going to see it in their 30s and 40s. And plus, it was a kid-friendly movie, although we'll talk about the irony of its kid-friendliness in a minute. <laughs> so for those of you who are already totally lost, I'm going to remind you what this movie 
movies about. Although I argue all the time with Max, who would listen to a podcast about a specific movie that's never seen the movie before? So I feel like this is wasted energy that I always pour into telling people about it. But I'm a big fan of talking. So who, any, who's any, Max? Uh, the, the old host of the show. Oh, yeah, that's well, right. I'll yeah. introduce you at our yeah, reunion. I can't wait to meet him. Yeah. yeah, Josh Baskin would do anything to be big and hang out with his crush at the carnival. He finds a Zoltar machine and he wishes to be big. After Zoltar tells him his wish is granted, Josh notices the machine is unplugged. He wakes up the next morning in an adult's body, but still has the same personality. It's the, basically the story of us. <laughs> with the help of his best friend, Billy. Oh, Billy. Josh learns how to act like a grown-up, but he gets a girlfriend, has a fun job, and he doesn't want to be a kid again. Will Josh stay big or become a 13-year-old boy again? That's the movie. It's also, by the way, in addition to what we talked about being generational, it is the hardest thing emotionally and intellectually to cope with as you grow up. How many things from 13 and 14 do you miss and are angry that you can't just be doing that instead of waking up, going to work, dealing with kids, dealing with taxes? Hate those taxes, Bruce. How many how many things out there are that crossover? What I treasure most about our friend group is that we have somehow managed to keep a portion of our brain in that time capsule and fundamentally behave, feel, and act the same way we did when we were 13 or 14. Yeah, it's very uh, important, I think, for the longevity of the friendship, absolutely. Well, because I don't know that a 40-year-old would like me, uh, but I know a 13-year-old would think I was hilarious. <laughs> and it, it's really, it's honestly lowest common denominator when we all get together. Whoever picks the age that we're going to behave that night that's the yeah, age we're going to be. We, we all follow night. suit. It's we great. Have, we have no problem. It's right? horrifically destructive and, and dangerous, <laughs> but it's fun. Yes. Uh, all right. So there's a lot to talk about when it has to do with the movie Big. So Bruce, if you have anything, I kind of gave you short notice on the show. If you have any kind of tidbits of information you thought were amazing, throw them out there. Yes, sir. So for starters, and I guess I'm breaking my own rule because the first thing I'm going to talk about is who wrote this. And I know that's not always the order, but Ann Spielberg and Gary Ross wrote this incredible movie. And you should know the name Ann Spielberg because it's Steven Spielberg's kid sister. I didn't know that until doing the research for this uh, Same few, here. few episodes back. It makes perfect sense. If this feels Spielbergian. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you mentioned the Goonies earlier. Uh, so, yeah, the, the parallels of those two movies coming of age, etc. I'm always amazed by his ability in particular to capture the journey of youth. You know, by the time you're 30 or 40 years old, it's not easy to kind of peel back. What's that new movie that just came out that's supposed to be about Spielberg's The Fablemans? Did you, have you I haven't it seen yet? it yet. I heard that that's, it's a really good peek behind the curtain to understand why he is so good at being able to tell that story of being a child and what that's like. I mean, whether it's E.T. or, again, executive producing on The Goonies, you know, because Donner famously hated kids, right? I was even <laughs> surprised. I mean, I shouldn't say hated kids. He hated working with kids. He didn't like him as much as... Spielberg. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that that was wild. And they originally wanted Spielberg to, to direct this movie. And when he backed out, um, Spielberg, and by the way, Gary Ross was their neighbor, which is how they were oh, friends wow. with each other. I'm okay. talking about a cool neighborhood yeah, to live no in, doubt. right? So they were nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, which I think is like, it, it's pretty fantastic when you consider this is their debut yes. you know, writing. Yes. And then Gary Ross went on to have a wild career. There's a ton of movies that he wrote. So Ross wrote Mr. Baseball, 
Dave Pleasantville and Seabiscuit, and he directed Seabiscuit and The Hunger Games. That's a pretty nice uh, resume well, right so, there. Yeah, The Hunger Games w- was incredible. He didn't stay on to do any of the sequels, but the first one, which was a box office smash, that was his uh, direction. I think Seabiscuit was his directorial debut, but I could be wrong. It's just interesting to me the kind of the origin points of Big on those two writing that script. So when they originally wrote the script, the idea was that Harrison Ford would star as Josh Baskin and Spielberg would direct it. Wow, that, I mean... That would be a completely different movie. A very different movie. Penny Marshall, right? Everybody knows her from Laverne and Shirley, uh, RIP. I think she passed away in 2017 or Somewhere around there, yeah. 2016, 2017. This was a huge deal for her. First first of all, her directing career, outside of doing a couple episodes of Laverne and Shirley, she had done Jumpin' Jack Flash. I liked that movie a lot. I, I It wasn't, it was panned, but I thought it was good. Right. I, I saw it a long time ago. I don't remember much of it except the phone booth scene. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. I agree. Yeah. So Penny Marshall gets this movie and it's a huge deal, right? So for her to get a hundred million dollar box office movie, I think, I believe the first female director to ever get that. It grossed 151 million worldwide against a production budget of 18 million. So that's a lot of cheddar. A lot of cheddar. A lot of cheddar. These are just silly things that I don't know that anybody else cares about, but I think it's kind of cool. You probably already knew this being the aficionado you are, but did you know that Penny Marshall was Married to Rob Reiner? I did. Yes. Okay. And her and their daughter actually was one of the baseball players in the League of Their Own. I cannot remember her name. I do know her last name is Reiner. Oh. But yes. Uh, I love the League of Their Own. Uh, it's a good movie. Um, there's parallels, I think, to Big, actually, too. Not in so much of the coming-of-age story, but just the idea of uh, pitting what's expected of the world and what is being forced into the world. Oh, yeah. We can get back to that later. Well, it's interesting, too. This is true in almost every movie that we talk about on the show. But if you work with one person, they remember you, and then they refer you to someone else. So you see things like John Lovitz showing up in Both a league of, their own. The league of Their Own. Yes. So do you know the story about John Lovitz on Big? It's no, kind of fun. I don't. So John Lovitz got the flu. He was deathly ill. And he had shot maybe the first couple scenes and he said, I need a few weeks off. He felt better, like pretty quick. And he was ready to come back, but he thought the movie was going to stink. So he like stayed away from it. Some people interviewing me, I was like, boy, did I make a mistake? Oh, that's funny. So like he was kind of distancing himself from the movie. Prior to that, what did Lovitz do? I've got it here somewhere. Well, he's at that point was already in a Saturday Night Live, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. 100%. He was in, he had a small role as Doug in Jumpin' Jack Flash. He was uh, Morty. In The Three Amigos. Okay. He was the voice of the radio in The Brave Little Toaster. Okay. Which I, when you hear it, it's you remember it. a pretty dark movie. It. Well, I think we talked about it on the show. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask Max at our reunion since he's no longer on the show. Right. And then A League of Their Own, like I mentioned, yeah. he was uh, Ernie, the recruiter. Yeah, he kind of, he had some scene-stealing moments in that He was movie. great. Yeah. I like John Lovitz. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's kind of, uh, always shows up. <laughs> oh, yes, it's late. He's not. Oh, man. I, anything in Sandler, I always look for Lovitz. He's great. The... the <laughs> We're talking about Penny Marshall, and I'd be remiss not to bring up my one of my favorite stand-up jokes of all time by Zach Galifianakis in his 2005 special. He says, never do online dating. When I showed up to my date, she said, hey, you don't look like Matt Damon. And I said, you don't look like Penny Marshall. <laughs> So I have to say one of the one of the best parts about having you on the show is, like I said, I have an enormous amount of respect for your film intelligence and you care so much about making this happen and making it work well. And 
you're you're so uh, hard on yourself on whether a joke lands or not. I also question if you've ever listened to any of Max's jokes on the show, which are some <laughs> of the worst jokes ever. Uh, yeah, but he owns them, man. He he's, does own them. He's he, got gusto. He does. He absolutely owns them. All right, so I've got some other cool facts about the movie. The piano that was created for the piano scene, I think the original one was quite a bit smaller. And the designer of this for the movie, um, I think his name was Saracini. I could be butchering that. He created a 16-foot version that was selling for $15,000, and it sold like crazy. Oh, he, it was actually made for retail? Yeah. Um, I don't know who it was sold out of, but I know that it changed his life because all of a sudden he was making $15,000 toys for people's room. Wow. Think, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, yeah, 15K. That's like the most regrettable 15 <laughs> large you drop right ever, right. man. <laughs> you see the movie big. Like, I could see, like, you see Conan the Barbarian, you want the sword, you know, or right, the camel. Right, yeah. You can yeah. probably get a camel for 15 grand. <laughs> <laughs> this is less of a piece of trivia and more just something that I think is funny. Many, many episodes ago did a body swap episode and we noted at the time the 80s were such a time for body swap movies. So October of 87, you've got like father, like son, which was Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. Yes. Who I've mentioned a number of time on the show. His eyes terrify me. Now that I know like how Dudley Moore Kirk or Kirk Cameron. Cameron. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like no. he's he's scares me. Uh, you've got March of 88, vice versa with Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage. Yes. March of you got 18 again with George Burns, which if you've not seen it yet, I highly recommend it. It's really good. Saw it a long time ago. Max's least favorite movie ever in 89, Dream a Little Dream with Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Been a long time. Yep. Um, and then you've got All of Me, Lily Tomlin and Steve Martin. Haven't seen it. That's a good one, too. Part of the reason that Tom Hanks and Elizabeth Perkins thought that this movie was going to be a bomb was because of all of the body swap movies that were coming out around the same time. And they were wrong. Big time. Big time wrong. Wrong duck dong. So speaking of the piano... Uh, Robert Loja and Tom uh, and Tom Hanks. Yeah. He's fantastic, by the way. Uh, they created like a cardboard cutout that they would use at home to practice. So that was all them. The day of the shoot, Penny Marshall had a couple stuntmen or fill-ins to like do it for them. And Loja's like, step out of my way. I don't know yeah. if he said it like that, nor do I think he's Al Pacino. I don't know what who I'm imitating right now, but they did it, I think, almost in like one and a half takes. They all they both practiced on their own. So that is 100% them doing the- These guys are pros. It makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? What else? What other facts do I have for you, Bruce? This is a fact. I will confirm it. Penny Marshall in her second movie ever was the first female director to direct something that made over $100 million at the box office. Good for her. That's awesome. Big ups, Penny Marshall. Yeah. I thought this was kind of cool. Big is one of very few movies with a PG rating to use the F word. Do you want to guess what the other ones are? Three from the 80s. PG movies to use the F word. Yep. If you get any of these, I'm getting you a milkshake because I'd be shocked. I wouldn't have even thought. One of them I didn't even know was PG. I thought it was PG-13. These are three PG movies from the 80s where you can hear the F-bomb dropped. Which I, is very I, rare. I, I I can't think of it right now. I, I, Give me two days, I'd probably come. Yes, up with it. I hope so. Yeah. Spaceballs, Caddyshack two, and Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, well I didn't know Beetlejuice was PG. I didn't either. That's more my shock. Wasn't that it was the f bomb? It was that they were I, right. I'm actually, that's a, that's a dark movie. Caddyshack two. I'm kind of surprised yeah. got away. Yeah, they went from R to PG. Yeah, I mean that's one of a dozen reasons why it's one of the worst sequels ever but uh i happen to like caddyshack too so this was hanks's first nomination for an oscar and i believe he won the golden globe the crazy part about him being nominated for the oscar and you and i have talked about this a lot the lack of a definitive category for best comedy for actor in a comedy for anything comedy related um typically comedy and fantasy movies are kind of this the redheaded stepson of the academy awards so to break through in that type of role i think was fairly substantial what was it? What was the first movie he won his Oscar for? Philadelphia. I had a guy. See, I'm just trying to get you to flex. 
I didn't remember, but and then he won Forrest Gump the next year. God, just a murderer's row of movies that he's been in. The first one's not a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trying to be subtle. That's good. That's good. So Robert Loja's character is based on then FEO Schwartz CEO Peter Harris. Oh, no kidding. They actually yeah. based it on a real guy. Yeah. Okay. He, uh, youthful, goofy. Uh, he was true to Harris's own personality. Okay. Makes kind of sense, right? If you're the CEO of FAO Schwartz, you better be a little bit fun and silly. Yeah. This movie, Big, is ranked number 10 on the AFI's list of 10 greatest films in the genre. They, they treat it as fantasy, which I understand, right? But I also think like that's wild to me because the never ending story is in fantasy too, you know? Yeah. Well, but it could be the people at AFI just like the movie so much and they wanted to kind of shoehorn it in and get it on a list to get it some recognition for the, the love they have for it. Yeah. No, for sure. John Landis was considered to direct the movie, but he turned it down because he was doing Coming to America. Oh, okay. It would have gotten an R rating had he directed it. It would have been hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start talking about people that were up for this role. Steve Gutenberg. Okay. considered was now big at the time right pardon the pun before i give you the list now i gotta do the list first i'm getting all over the place but he ended up turning it down because he was shooting three men and a baby bill murray judge reinhold michael keaton all considered for josh baskin reinhold would go on to do vice versa which is kind of funny that he turned down the one right. did the yeah. other i'll do the crappier one right um ivan reitman but he turned it down because he was doing twins in 88 he uh, was offered to, I didn't to direct it no yeah, kidding yeah. Yeah, okay yeah. robin williams uh who was also considered for josh baskin again played later jack. played jack oh, look at you in uh 96 and uh um, not a good movie not not coppola's no. best movie no and oh, go ahead i i didn't hate it but uh you know it wasn't big <laughs> I, I i really i have a high bar for all things robin williams so right. i'm kind of with you right but a lot of people felt that way about awakenings and i i really liked awakenings penny marshall yeah directed. this would have been great lithgow to play paul susan's boyfriend the jerk who yeah that, yeah yeah lithgow, he's just a pro that yeah. guy can he's just a joy to watch on screen at the beginning of the movie when josh is playing the video game the cavern of evil wizard it's a role play computer game and i thought it was kind of cool do you ever watch a movie and you emotionally feel like it fits perfectly with the movie but maybe, oh yes but maybe you don't fully understand why and then yeah. you hear someone kind of explain it and you're like oh my god that makes perfect sense so this is our this is worded really well and i liked it so i stole it I don't remember who I stole it from. Josh's Cavern of the Evil Wizard is a role play computer game, which he is playing at the start of the film. Let's Josh decide what to melt the wizard with. This foreshadows Josh walking out of the meeting at Macmillan's Toys when Susan and he are presenting their proposal for the electronic comic book. The comic would allow the reader to decide whether or not the story goes on when the pages turn, thus allowing the kid to make their own decision. Since Josh walked out and went to the Zoltar machine to make a wish to be a kid again, Josh made his own decision. Yeah. I, that, I, that's, it's funny. As you said that before, I don't know if I necessarily needed the explanation because it just was comforting nonetheless. It's just like this aesthetic to the film. But that, that, I mean, to me, that's the through line of the movie is that, that we are supposed to remember things from our past and apply it to adult life. Otherwise, what are we all doing here? Yeah. And, and I agree. And I think the other kind of cool thing is the more that Josh leans into what makes him a kid the more successful he is. His job skyrockets. Why is his job skyrocket? Because he just asks. His ego doesn't interfere with him saying, I don't get it. So two other people that auditioned for, or that were looked at for the role of Josh Baskin, Sean Penn, and they believed he was way too young. And this is my favorite. Gary Busey, who they thought did an incredible job playing young Josh Baskin. They were concerned couldn't play the adult. (laughs) They were like, he was unbelievable as the adult Josh Baskin. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Gary Busey was like 
38 years old. I know. They were going to put him as the kid? No, no, no. I'm sorry. They, 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 he did a great job playing the I don't get it version. But when he had to kind of transition, because you see this very clear transition in the movie where Josh Baskin goes from, I'm going to sleep on the top bunk, you sleep on the bottom bunk, to now... You know, I have important phone calls to make and blowing off his friend. They were concerned that Busey couldn't transition. Oh, that's hilarious. That's I thought so it was funny. great. I thought it was so funny. Can you imagine if Busey played that role? We Amazing. would not you would not be podcasting about it. I this. would, but for totally different totally reasons. Totally different reasons, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I get the top. <laughs> Freaking Busey. Billy, Billy, give me two. Give me two. <laughs> uh, all right. I only got a couple more facts and then I want to jump into who is in this movie and then talk more just big picture about the film, Bruce Barry Sonnenfeld worked as the director of photography for this movie yeah. during the sleepover scene. When Josh shows Susan, the New York city apartment in the toys, uh, Patrice Rusin's forget me nots can be heard playing in the background. Forget me not. Fa- oh, wow. Fast, okay. fast forward a hundred years. Sonnenfeld directed men in black, men in black where Will Smith sampled that song. Here come the men in black. Yep. They're not tied to each other. I just think it's kind of cool. That's amazing. And, like, yeah, that's a fun fact. Yeah, a little, a little something for your stocking. My final list of people who did not want to play a kid. I've already given you about six, but I think I've got three or four more that you'll love. Kevin Costner, Warren Beatty, Dennis Quaid. They all gave the same answer. I don't want to play a kid. Travolta really wanted this role, like really wanted it. Okay. He was poison at this time. Uh, what was the sequel to Saturday Night Fever? Staying Alive. Staying Alive just flopped. Nobody, nobody <laughs> wanted to touch him. Directed that. I know, right? And then Frankie Stallone did the music, didn't he? I assume so. They're yeah. attached to the oh, hip. Man. Those two, yeah. What a terrible. I, I, I love that movie. Uh, but uh, Boddicker from um, not Boddicker. Uh, yeah, Boddicker from uh, RoboCop was the was the choreographer in Staying Alive. Oh, really? okay. Red Foreman from uh, that '70s show. Again, his name yeah, is yeah, totally uh, escaping me. Uh, yeah, me too. I could have told you, but uh, Boddicker. I like saying Boddicker. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. I, I want to be big. I uh, want to be big. Oh, oh, Hickory Dickory. No, that's that's, that's not dice, him. not that's your dice. Yeah, that's not good. Can't use him. <laughs> Before I jump into anything else, this is actually a perfect time to take a quick moment to hear a word from our sponsors. Buzz in the Tower is also brought to you by Dolby Real Estate. You can find them at wearedolby.com. There is no better way to celebrate the movie big than to try and purchase Josh Baskin's apartment, which I think last went for sale for some insane amount of money. But if you needed the right real estate agent to find it for you, you'd go to Dolby Real Estate. Simon and his team are dedicated to making sure that you get the best deal on a new home, or if you're selling your home because you want to move to the city and put a trampoline in your living room, they're going to be the group you want to reach out to immediately. 400 million in sales in 2021, a thousand homes sold. They're the best that's out there. The home buying and home selling process can be brutal if you don't have the right person to guide you through it. Simon and his team at Adobe Real Estate are those people. Reach out today. Tell them the Buzz in the Tower sent you. Simon and his team are going to make sure that this process helps you both in your pocketbook and in your eyes. In your eyes. In your eyes. Because you want to make sure you're looking at that beautiful house. I did explain. Yeah, see, thank you. Call them today and get started on your journey. So we talked about Penny Marshall. We talked about Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg. I want to hop now into the characters, and we'll start with Tom Hanks, who played Josh Baskin. So he'd done Splash in 84, Bachelor Party in 84. By the way, before I even rip through this list, his 80s was so impressive. As much as you love Tom Hanks today, and you know everything he's put together in the 90s and recent films, to jump his career, he almost got put in the Jim Carrey position. And what I mean by that, and, and Jim Carrey's done a great job of breaking free of that, but until Jim Carrey got 
got into a couple roles that had some real acting chops to them. He was the stretchy face, goofy guy, right? And that, and they were willing to pay him, right? Dumb and Dumber, they paid him a fortune. Ace Ventura, they, you know, the movie made a fortune. But Tom Hanks was on a on a trajectory to be nothing more than that. And I would argue that that Big was the fork in the road that changed his career, possibly. Splash in '84, Bachelor Party in '84, Man with the One Red Shoe hey, in '85. Splash is the first movie I saw in the theater. No kidding. No kidding. Oh, I were, cried. Were you in love with Daryl Hannah? I was. I cried. 84. So you would have been six. six? Yeah. Yeah. It was, so this is a great movie. Yeah. Eugene Levy is great in that movie, too. The whole movie is... Ron Howard directed that, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's... To, I cry. I'd still cry if I watched it today, probably. That's awesome. John Candy was <laughs> yeah, awesome as no, his brother. Yeah. yeah I, I totally agree. It's fun agree. to have those two as brothers. We I, should do a Splash episode. I'll have to talk to uh, you about that. Yeah, because I'm the new co-host. Yeah, I almost yeah, said Max. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Yes. So uh, Volunteers in 85, Money Pit in 86. I love Money Pit. Money Pit's good. Um, and Gary Marshall directed Nothing in Common, Penny's with, brother, uh, Jackie Gleason. Jack Gleason. Yep. yep. And so that's important because this is where you start to understand why people go where they go, right? So, you know, Gary Marshall's telling Penny, you got to use Tom Hanks. Uh, Every Time We Say Goodbye in 86 and Dragnet in 87 and then Big in 88. I don't know which year it was, but he did a guest spot on Family Ties. Yeah. As, the Drunk uh, Uncle. The Drunk oh. Uncle. And, you know, it's you know, very sitcom formatted. It, it kind of just synthesizes it all down into a half hour episode. Like by the end of it, he's going to rehab, you know, but it just showed that he had some range. Absolutely. No, yeah. he was great. It was it was a departure from Bosom Buddies. Like he yes. was great. I, yes. I totally agree. And it, and, it, and it was pretty insightful about alcoholism, too. So, you know, just it, a little shout out to Family Ties. There. You know, it was uh, especially in the 80s. Sitcoms were notorious for those types of episodes. And then at the end, they'd be like, you know, today's episode, we learned about drinking. <laughs> Call this 800 number. <laughs> right, right. Th- this didn't feel like that. To your point, it was much more organic, which is in large part because it was Tom Hanks doing it. All right. So let's go to Elizabeth Perkins. Elizabeth Perkins, if you don't know, I, I'm blown away by this every time I see it. Did you ever get into Stranger Things? No, I have not. Well, you need to. Shame on you. Millie Bobby Brown. You know who that is? She plays Eleven. If you look at pictures of Elizabeth Perkins when she was doing big or younger and you look at Millie Bobby Brown, Bruce, they are identical twins. Oh, no kidding. You know, sometimes people will show like a picture of like, uh, I don't even know, like uh, Wild Bill um, from, you know, the old Western photo or wanted ad. Yeah. And then they'll show like a contemporary actor and be like, why do they look identical? There's a theory that uh, Keanu Reeves is immortal because there are all these pictures (laughs) from like the 1800s of this guy that looks just like Keanu Reeves. Never in my life have I seen such similarity between how two people look than from Elizabeth Perkins, uh, who plays Susan, the love interest in this, and Millie Bobby Brown. Elizabeth was also in About Last Night. Um, that was her first movie, I believe. I think. Because Big was her third. I can't remember what the middle one was. Well, the more, most important one is when she played Wilma Flintstone in the Flintstone movies. <laughs> I didn't even know that she did. That's, That's funny. Unbelievable. Is that Rick Moranis and John Goodman? Yeah. Yeah. God, I don't know who the other... Well, it was Rick Moranis. You're right. Yeah. It took me. He played Barney, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. God, who else would forever. play Barney? It's true. Jared Rushton. Do you know that name? Uh, yes, I do. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Big. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. So he, so he played Billy, Josh's friend. And the other movie he was in, which is, this is a favorite movie of mine. And again, I don't want to bring him up too often. Max loves it as well. Overboard. He was one of the Prophet Boys. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, God, yeah, yeah. That's funny. And that movie was directed by Gary Marshall. Oh, okay. So again, okay. it's all that kind of... Circular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, fun. Bruce. Mo. Talk to me about Robert Loja. 
I feel like you love Robert Loja. I do love Robert Loja. Uh, Oscar-nominated actor for The Jagged Edge. He's just one of those guys. He's got like a, a gruff voice. Kind of like Mo, you heard Moe impersonated it earlier. It's like, I'm Robert Loja. I love orange juice. Um, he has been in a lot of very famous movies. He's had bit parts in smaller movies. Uh, most famously, perhaps, Scarface. Frank uh, Lopez. Yep. Um, he, I mentioned already The Jagged Edge, which uh, he's great in that. Um, that movie's a bit of a mess, but he kind of holds it together. Don't I, don't forget Jason Cutler over the top. Yeah, I, I just I was joking. You don't have to remember over the top. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. He's in a he's in that Dana Carvey vehicle Opportun- Opportunity Knocks, yep. um, which is not a great movie. Nope. Um, uh, General Gray in Independence Day. I thought he was oh, really yeah, good. Yeah, in Independence that, Day. yeah. He's just a strong presence. I mean, when you like, he's in, in the movie we're discussing today. Big. He plays the CEO of this huge toy company, and you just believe that that guy's a billionaire. Yeah. You look at him and you you think, you know, somebody who's ambitious and he's going to get his stuff done. He's the only person I could think of that could have been the manager of the Indiana Braves in the movie Major League. I could imagine him being like, Dorn, shut up, Dorn. The Indiana Braves. <laughs> Go ahead. Is that a joke? Go ahead. No, it's not. Go ahead. I'm not cutting this out. Let everybody know what a buffoon I am. It's the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's the Indiana Braves. <laughs> <laughs> How Indiana, can I forget? Indiana Jones and the Temple of Braves. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the Cleveland, Cleveland Indians. They're now the Cleveland Guardians, but they are back then the Cleveland Indians. Yes. Um, Indiana Braves. I, so good. I, that was amazing. Yeah. Thank I you. love it. I love it. So, you're so polite. Max would have been so excited to just nail me to on screen on something you. up. Yeah. yeah. And you pulled away from the mic. You're like, is, is it okay to tell everybody you're a moron? Can I do that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So he plays McMillan. Oh, uh, Michael Carlino, Armed and Dangerous. Oh, God. Yeah, I'd forgotten he was in that. Yep. Um, he's really terrific in An Officer and a Gentleman. He's not in it for very long. Oh, he plays wow. Richard Gere's father. Um, You're right. And he plays him, plays both versions of him when, when Richard Gere's character is a kid and then also or M- Mayo is his name uh, and is an adult. And he's just, you know, just this drunk naval officer uh, who basically has threesomes with his own son with prostitutes. Not a good father, but nope. I, there's something, once again, something about his eyes. He's just a trusting guy. It's like, well, you know, he may be crappy here on screen now, but there's some values he instilled in that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, John Hurd, who plays Paul, um, he also was in Beaches. He's the dad, if anybody forgot, in Home Alone. Uh, yeah. That's, the I think, his most defining uh, character. He was in Awakenings. He was the doctor. And he was also in Sharknado. Oh, was he really? He was. He played so George. It, interesting you bring that up, because I've I've not seen Sharknado. But, you know, he had a pretty, in the 80s and 90s, he had a pretty good career. You just mentioned some of the highlights there. Home Alone probably being the pinnacle, even though his part wasn't enormous. But, you know, it's a huge movie. He uh, became kind of like this working actor towards the end of his career. It, I, I didn't read up on this, but you just look at his eye. IMDB credits and it's like he's in an episode of a show here 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 and then like he became a he had a main role in the Sopranos I think in the first season oh yeah yeah as yeah, one yeah. as the crooked cop he was great I totally forgot he was in the Sopranos yeah he's a great actor I mean he, he died not too long ago as well oh, that's um, a bummer yeah he's a he was a good actor um yeah, I mean, he's but he's he's a great foil to uh, Tom Hanks in yeah. this movie. Oh, they're great. The tension between them and and uh, the the racquetball scene. Oh, is, it's inc- is, so is so great. You cheated. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think this whole movie is painted with that brush in many ways. I mean, in, in just in Josh's character, obviously he's carrying the values of a ten. Is he ten? Ten year old? Uh, no. Uh, 13, I think. Oh, is he 13? Yeah, I think he's 13. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. The 
so you you say rules and uh, when let's just call him the, his his young the younger Josh played by David Moscow. David Moscow yep. he's got the little uh, his school crush she's there and he's trying to impress her and she's like hey do you want to go on this ride and he's like yeah I love this ride I've been on it all the time and they get up to the front of it and he's not tall enough to get in they've got that humiliating like poster board there showing he's with the, a hand yeah, you gotta just be this tall yeah, showing yeah. you basically yeah you're, you're you're way too short kid and the the girl God bless her says it's a stupid rule and that line honestly sets up the rest of the movie for me personally because it's just rules man we're just we're talking about rules and i think as an adult he learns cynicism and he learns that maybe some rules are meant to be broken i I don't know i just that that's a that that line kind of is seared into my memory for some reason oh no i i agree i the other part of that the humanity and kindness of that girl totally and that's something that this movie does really well is that even though there are two worlds being examined one obviously that of the child one of the adult there's nothing too sinister or terrible going on anywhere. Right. Even the worst of the worst guys aren't that bad. Paul, right. Paul's the worst in the right. movie. But he's he's un- not that bad. Yeah, exactly. He's got some guy moving in on his woman, yeah. taking his job. His job, the yeah. office that he wanted. Yeah. You know, like everything. And, yeah. and the worst he comes up with is, I don't get it. I, I don't, don't get, get it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, he resor- and There you go. Yeah. By the way, was she being kind or was she just excited because she had the jock boyfriend to with fall back on? With yeah. the car. With the license. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it's cool. I got this. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a stupid rule. I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the it's it's really cool too because the humiliation that I remember watching this as a kid and having that secondhand humiliation. Oh, totally. You're, you're watching his parents waving when he gets on the ride. You're oh, like, oh god, yes, this yes. is totally my parents. Like yes. I just feel that. Um, I will tell you that I think one of the most brilliant things done in this movie, Tom Hanks does something that I find incredible. So there's a scene where uh, him. And his young friend, Billy, are running across the street excited. If you watch the way he runs, he runs like a 13-year-old kid. This is like flapping his arms in the middle of traffic, running. It's awkward. <laughs> but, but if you watch throughout the whole movie... We And we take this for granted, and this is the magic of Tom Hanks. His mannerisms, the way he behaves, the way he acts, you buy into it. You believe it. You believe that he's a 13-year-old. What Penny Marshall did was brilliant. She shot all of the adult scenes with Tom Hanks first- with David Moscow. Oh, nice. So that Tom Hanks could watch what a 13-year-old would do in those scenes. Wow, that's that's some elbow grease. Isn't that, isn't Good that, for her. Isn't that absolutely brilliant? Yeah. I mean, hey, she earned that $100 million box 100%, office, 100%. Yeah. But like, so then, and, and again, not taking any credit away from Tom Hanks, who made the decision to watch and learn and study that. But what better way to prepare yourself for those small idiosyncrasies yeah. than to watch a 13-year-old kid right. go through all those scenes? So the way that he's interacting with Billy as quote-unquote best friends, Tom Hanks is watching that interaction and learning what that was. And, and I just thought, I, when I read that, I was like, that is the coolest thing I've read on this movie. In my, I, well, I mean, things. isn't it kind of funny, though, as adults, we probably do that. We covet what the youth have and it's like well yeah i, I want to wear sunglasses indoors or whatever you know what i'm just that's yeah. just a dumb example oh, no, but it's, it's a just, great example it's 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 art imitating life a little bit for I sure guess. yeah and that's part of what the allure of this film is is that as a kid it speaks to you directly because you're like god i wish i was big i wish i didn't have a curfew i wish i had a car i want to be 18 you spend from basically 11 to 21 wanting to be 16 18 19 and 21 more than anything in the world you spend from 21 to you die wanting to be 13 16 (laughs) and 18 again no man i can't wait to be 60 oh god i feel all every bit of 60 okay so the next person we just talked about was david moscow who played a young josh baskin he was in newsies 
He didn't have a lot other than being in uh, Newsies, but I, I'm surprised. I thought he was a really good actor, but with child actors, you see this happen all the time. Like they just kind of blossom up for one role and then that's it. He's got a, he, he had kind of one of those faces though. I, you th- he actually has a decent filmography. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think he's stuff. retired yeah. or whatever, not acting anymore. Handsome but, dude yeah, as, as, a, as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, totally. Love it's we already talked about. Uh, Mercedes Rule. Oscar I, nominated or Oscar winner actually it, well, for Fisher King. And, yeah. And she was the cop in Warriors. Oh, which was she? Yeah, I, not, uh, it was 79, yeah. but yeah, yeah. More importantly, she was the mom in The Last Action Hero. Uh huh. Which yeah. was essentially the same role as the mom in uh, Big. I think she was in Married to the Mob too, if yep, I'm not mistaken. You're correct. Yep, she was in that as I, well. I could be wrong. No, no, you okay. are. You're right. You're right. I um, just... She. Uh, there's a part that she has in this movie. Uh, the when we first see. Tom Hanks wake up as older man. Yep. And she says, Josh, come down, eat breakfast. And he's a like, be right down. And he's got the deeper voice and she just chalks it up to him having a cold. And then like you, it's funny because they, we, they, they keep cutting back and forth to Josh in his room, trying to cover it up that he's, you know, 30 years old now. And his mom goes back to the kitchen, uh, still under the presumption that her son has a cold and she starts muttering to herself, Oh, then the little kid's going to get yep. a cold. Then the husband's going to get a cold. Yep. Like all this like rote responsibility that we have as a, adu- that we have as adults. And then that, once again, it it perfectly segues into the rest of the movie because we have to watch this 13 year old guy be a 30 year old guy with all of these responsibilities that are just written out for you day by day. And it's, I, I, it's a minor moment, but no, but it's, it, it's important for, for, it's important for your, your, I agree with what you're saying. It's important for two reasons. One is, it does show that juxtaposition of here's what it is to be an adult. Here's what it is to be a kid. The adult just has to do everything. The kid just has to wake up. And right. it, it additionally shows how much his mom loves him. And what we get to see, which are the, the more tender moments when Josh Baskin is terrified and he's laying in the, the motel in the motel. The yeah. motel yeah. And he misses his mom and you hear him crying a couple times saying he misses his mom. There are two versions of this movie. There's a longer cut version. Uh, and then there's the TV version. And there's a lot of stuff that was trimmed out of this. And I have not watched this movie in its entirety, not on TBS or not on TV and forever. Okay. So when I actually watched the whole movie, I was like, Oh my God, I don't remember any of these scenes at all one in particular and i don't know if you saw this or caught this it's when he called his mom's house claiming to be doing a survey on medicine do you did you see this scene god i don't think i have it's a it's an incredible scene so he calls his mom's house gets his mom this is him now as an adult and says oh uh hi mrs baskin we're calling to do a survey on medicine uh when when your uh family has a stomach ache, uh what what medicine do you use? And she's like Pepto-Bismo, you know, four times until the stomach ache goes away. And he goes, "Oh, thank you very much cuz he had a stomach ache." Oh, that's cute. <laughs> and, and like it, it's those little kind of tender moments where yeah. you, I mean, I mean, it's tough, man. I mean, he falls in love, he's becoming an adult, but he misses his mom. Yeah. I mean, his dad is very purposefully not a part of any of this because they're trying to really draw that boy-mom relationship out, which you and I both happen to like very much. The other thing that was cut out was Billy's mom and family, which was it was odd. I don't I I don't know enough to tell you this is exactly why they did it, but the why they cut it out or why, why they, they had it in the first place and why they cut it out. So I haven't seen that scene. I, okay. I'm only aware of it. Um, I, I I think I was I was watching a video on Big and they showed just somebody was narrating over it, but they showed the scene and I think they were skipping parts, so it wasn't in its entirety. But one nonetheless, I couldn't hear the dialogue. But anyway, what it looked like is that the mom was just a hellraiser. She just was a brow, browbeats the entire family. Uh, Billy's got a couple of siblings, and they're they're all just at the table with their brows furrowed and just nervous because they don't want to upset their mom. The dad's not saying anything, and Billy's like serving them dinner and getting stuff out of the oven. So she's complaining. Throwing. She's complaining about how nobody helps her. Nobody helps while, her while okay. Billy is actually helping. Well, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you know, just this idea that adults create their own reality. 
And perhaps it's funny because it's like Josh is wishing to be big because he just got his heart broken because he wasn't tall enough to ride a ride and he got embarrassed in front of a girl. But, you know, we never hear Billy complain about wanting to be older. Maybe he he maybe he just wanted to get older because he wanted to get away from this family. Right. That is just awful because he probably wants to make he probably vows. I'm never going to be like these people when I'm an adult. So I, I once again, I haven't seen it. No, I so I've I've watched all the scenes and okay. you, you described it perfectly. It's it's really I liked the inclusion of the scenes and wish they had kept them because it explains why Billy so passionately pursues his friendship with Josh. Okay. Like like and so like this is again a wonderful part about youth and about growing older and about being young. You have these relationships that are they're lifesavers. They're literally you're on the Titanic. Your life is sinking, and you have these one or two friends that can bring you out of that. You know they've got the the Spider Man walkie talkies. So no matter what Billy's day is like, and no matter what Josh's day is like, when they go to bed at night, they can talk with each other. They have each other. I think showing how dysfunctional Billy's family was really helps punch the idea home of why this kid is going to New York City every day after school, cutting class, stealing money from his dad, doing anything he can. To get his friend back. Right. I mean, without that scene, we just chalk it up to, oh, he's just being a brave kid. This is brash kid going to New York, going to the big city. Interesting. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I think the reason we can live without the scene is because we've all had a a best friend. I think that we can understand the value of friendship without having to see it, or those of us who are lucky enough to have those kind of friends can. And I think that's probably why they got rid of it. But there's other little things, too, that were cut out. Um, There's a scene where Susan goes through Josh Baskin's wallet when he's an adult, finds a baseball card with gum stuck in it, finds the Zoltar card. So, like, it's filling in the plot a little bit as to why and how these things happen. I could do without that. Yeah, Yeah. I I was fine with not having that. That's fine. There's, there's, It's not a... The way she finds out is better. Yeah, yeah. It's more kid-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a big character. I threw it in here because I just thought it was kind of cool. Deborah Jo Rupp is Josh's executive assistant, Mrs. Patterson. She's uh, Kitty Foreman from That 70s Show. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. He asked her to... Hey, can you bring the Super Bowl? V- cut all the commercials cut all the out. Commercials. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's so funny because, you know, it's. Isn't that what we all thought we would do when we had an executive assistant one day, though? Like absurd stuff, right? Well, I I'll, I mean, go go back even further. It's like we never thought we were going to get past VCRs. And I know. It's like it's true. <laughs> I'm going to edit out the commercials. And God, it's funny. It's funny. I'd be but... right at home in that world, by the way. I know, right? That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just need uh, if you give me every single NHL from 90 to 98 <laughs> for Sega Genesis, that'd be great. Be ready to go. <laughs> I should also point out that the person who played Billy's mom was Frances oh, uh, Fisher. Fisher, yeah. She was the woman who played Titanic. Ru- yeah, Ruth, Titanic. Ruth DeWitt, uh, who Cater, the mother of Kate Winslet's character in Titanic. Yeah, yeah. She's a good actress. She's um, She's been around forever. I mean, like in so many things, man. Yeah. She, it's funny. She looks like uh, Jim Carrey's ex-wife. What's her name? Lauren Holly. Oh. Yes. Yes, yes, yes indeed. Yes. In, Speaking in, of Jim Carrey. In doobly Why I bring that up. That's good. That's it on characters. And we talked about the general film facts, but let's pull back for a minute okay. because one of the things that I think you bring to the table that Max doesn't is uh, your intellect, your hygiene, your good looks. Um, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot what we were talking about. Let's let's <laughs> let's let's go big picture. Oh no, you know, I did forget one thing I wanted to mention. Of all the people I mentioned that were up for the role of Josh Baskin, I have my forget even who I mentioned. Who do you think could have played that role? I've got two people I think could have played that role well, and played it well. I think Robin Williams. That's could my have. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. I don't know if he could have played it well, but I would have loved to have seen Michael Keaton. I, I like you hit my two. Those are my two. Oh, okay. How Those about are my it? two? Yeah, I, I just think I don't know the because he's so intense and he's a he's a people don't realize he's a stand up comedian. So like he could just have the he, it would have worked. I think of him in Mr. Mom 
there, there's an immaturity and a silliness <laughs> totally, to him yeah. that would have crossed over. And then in Robin Williams' case, I, I think it would have been incredible. Because he can be reserved, and I think that yeah. we're talking about reserved Robin it Williams. It could have been, yeah. I wouldn't have wanted over-the-top wacky, but I think yeah. he could have done it. Like, I, I want Mork would not work. Uh, you like, know, John Cusack. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah I think he could have done it, It could have worked, yeah. yeah. He, he, was, it's, he was a little young at the time, but... Um, Here's another question for you. What are some movies that you put in the big basket? And what I mean by that is... It doesn't have to necessarily follow the same type of story, but I view this movie as being this transitional coming of age, timeless movie that every time you watch it, you grab a new lesson that you didn't grab the time before. What are the movies that just, they give you that feeling? And, and it's also so warm and touching. Like it's just, there's not a moment in this movie where you're like bored or detached from it or you you get the ick. Like it just feels good the whole time. It's, it's a perfect blend of comedy and seriousness. What do you put in that basket? What do you put in that basket, Mo? The lotion. Is it on your skin first before yes. it goes in the well, basket? Well, it puts the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. Uh, so The Goonies is obviously one of the first ones that I would put in there. But I would even say The Goonies is sillier than this. It has its moments, but it's sillier than this. You know what? A mo- uh, Stand By Me. Stand By Me is the one that I... Oh, yeah. That, that's yeah. a big one that I put in that basket. That makes sense. Um just, I mean, we see the older version of uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character, and I forget the actor who plays the younger one for now. F- forgive me, but um, Family Stone—that's a good one. I, I, it's, it's funny because it's like it's a silly movie, but um, Family Stone resonates with me just because I have a big family, and it's the, the it, it truly captures like this how horrific and how loving it can be all mm-hmm. at the same time, and you know, many lessons to be taken from that and it's got a very uncomfortable dinner table scene uh from which i glean plenty uh after many viewings of it but uh, i i mean it just as far you're talking about just a comfortable movie or yeah just like i i have because I, I want to call it a fantasy i don't want to call it a comedy i don't want to call it a drama but just one like i'll give you i'll give you another one that i put in the basket because i'll give you an idea of the painting that i'm trying to paint here parenthood I, you know what i just watched that this weekend oh i'm jealous that's that's the perfect one that's my answer that's your answer yeah yeah you, you know what <laughs> Ron Howard, he directed Parenthood. He makes movies that are they're straightforward for the most part. Now he he can stretch it and do cool things like in Apollo thirteen, which I think is his best movie. But I don't want to get on a Ron Howard tangent. But my but Parenthood just it has this timelessness because we all recognize somebody in that movie. Not necessarily everybody, but you recognize a character in that in that movie that's in your life. And and there's love and there's hate and there's comfort in knowing people like that. And I and I feel like even from a an introspective standpoint, like the Tom Holtz character. Uh, Larry, the get rich Cable quick guy. guy, the mm-hmm. get rich quick guy. I see myself like I see myself in him, and that's not flattering. I mean, like this idea that like mom and dad are going to fix everything and and blah blah blah. I, I just the, the, it paints an unflattering picture. But if you're actually self aware enough and you're watching that, you, you're going to pick out some of the less virtuous characters and say, yeah, I'm, I'm like that too. I, that's why I like that movie. But but conversely, it has just the opposite. It shows loving people, and you can see yourself in that as well. Radio flyer. I've not seen that. It's hard to watch. It's got the yeah. spoiler alert. I don't yeah, know. there's a there's, there's a, a bad a, there's some abuse. Adults of the behaving kid. badly. Yeah, but it's it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful story, and as hard as it is to watch, it's worth watching. Okay, it's not look. It's not Schindler's List bad. Like as far as hard to watch, right? right. But it's it's a beautiful movie. I think that I have a sweet spot for these movies that deal with childhood. 
Right. right? That's what we, we, you and I have talked about this all the time, right? Like right. you knew I was going to have kids. Like, yes. There's just some people that you're like, you, you know what they're attached to, what they care about. And there's this element in big of the recognition. It, part of it too is almost a, a blanket acceptance. It's okay to be this way. It's okay to be, I, right. I, I, we go through these periods of our lives where we're so concerned with fitting in and, and making things okay. And in big, it makes it okay to be embarrassed about these things. I, I think in, you know, when you watch a movie, and that you got the protagonist. Usually, you're you're looking at the protagonist through an idealistic lens, and and understanding that the director wants us to follow this guy and like him. But when the director is brave enough to show that person is flawed as well, I think it really it, it rings truer. And I think she, I think Hanks's performance does that really nicely in this movie. What's your favorite Hanks movie? Maybe three three favorite Hanks movies. It's funny because uh, my taste has changed. Like I used to like Forrest Gump. I don't think I like that anymore. Yeah, I really love Philadelphia. I do. I, I it, to call it time to deal with the subject of AIDS and and homosexuality at the time was not. It wasn't really ready for public consumption. There was no handbook. There's, yes, there was no so template that was showing the, here's how the, do you deal with these topics. And they deal with them nicely, and then they give you the nice digestible format of a courtroom to make it even more di- super digestible. So it's like, oh, I'm not uncomfortable. It would it would be a little bolder if it was made today. That that being said, I have no problem with it being a courtroom drama in the end. Um, so yes, there's that. Um, I liked Captain Phillips a lot. I liked it a lot. I've, I've only not, watched I've it once. I'm not seeing it. Yet. What Hanks does the very, the last three minutes of that movie is it's magic. I mean, it's like whoa, uh, he's really great. Um, basically, has like an emotional. He has an emotional breakdown, and it's 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 heavy stuff. Um, man, I, I gosh, uh, it's tough. I mean, he's just so consistent and. and you know, he's, he's Tom Hanks. <laughs> so I, I can only, I can only give you two. Okay. I don't have a third because I waffle between Saving Private Ryan and. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. But I'll give you two that are up there for me. Uh, Big. Yeah. And Joe versus the Volcano. That's a good one. And Joe versus the Volcano is again, one of those movies where it's, it's silly, but there is a story behind there. Well, it's a satire. Yeah. I mean. and, and, and it just, it resonates. It's a movie that I always loved. And then I went back and watched it like a year ago. And I'm like, this is adulthood. This yeah. is like the yeah. the constructed illness, the the being the the lights in the dim room. I mean, I'm spoiled. I, I like my job and I'm very spoiled to what I'm able to do. But I understand it. I understand yeah. like the dying the, plans. The, the, and, the psychosomatic illnesses just oh, based on your surroundings. It's like these lights are giving me cancer. It's, I love, yeah, and then he thought he was dying and all of a sudden his sniffling disappeared yeah, and his headaches yeah, disappeared. Yeah. He's way okay now. Yeah. There's two Dan Hedaya, his boss at the crappy job at the yep. beginning, is so funny. He's on the phone all the time with who knows who, and he's just like, I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. He's the dad in Clueless, in case yep. people don't know that, um, who he is. And then uh, when Robert Stack, the doctor, gives... Tom, Tom Hanks' diagnosis of brain, brain cloud. cloud. <laughs> and ah. Tom Hanks does this, like, I, people can't see, it's a podcast, but he does this gesticulation with his ha- hand over his head. He's like, brain cloud, I knew it. Well, I didn't I didn't know it, but I knew it. It, it kills me. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, it, that, that those are two good choices for yeah. sure. I, same Private Ryan's great. It's I great. mean, it's great. It's great. I, I don't care what people say. No, people want to hate on big blockbusters. It's fine. I, that movie. Do you know that he was in, Tom Hanks was in a film in the 80s I've not watched it. I just heard of it when I was looking up his uh, IMDb mm-hmm. that basically is like a World War II type film. Oh, I'd watch one. Uh, the, it was called Every Time We Say Goodbye. I've never heard of this. I didn't either. And when I was reading some of the reviews, it was people saying, if you love Tom Hanks, this is a hidden gem. A Protestant World War II pilot and a Jewish girl fall in love in Jerusalem, even though their diverse backgrounds threaten to pull them apart. Wow. I feel so like that's, that, that, that doesn't list. sound like a comedy. No. 
Yeah. Which is unique because, there, I mean, the fact that we've never heard of this, I think, says something. But you never know. You know? You never know. I just, I, that's crazy. I, so someone crazy. Saw, someone saw his dramatic chops right. and decided to put him in a heavy World War II romance movie. <laughs> right. Is it World War II? I don't know. I think so. He says he's a World War II pilot, so okay. it's got to be. There we go. Yeah. It was directed by, by Moshi Mazari. <laughs> never. Never. Yeah. Maybe it was a foreign film. I'll have to check it out. Check uh, it out. I will. So in wrapping up big, Bruce scenes, themes, anything in here just kind of tickle you the right way that you want to talk about. It doesn't have to be a tie-in or anything else. I always like to make sure that we cover all the things that kind of make a movie special. And we've talked about a bunch, but what are your what are your overall thoughts? So when Josh, adult Josh and Susan are about to make love for the first time, Mm-mm-mm. she takes off her blouse and he just stares and Oh, it's just so sweet. He's just. Do you think they shot that scene with the kid first? I, I he hopes. That's exactly he how hopes. a thirteen-year-old would react. I really like that racquetball scene. It's like a crossroads, and like he doesn't he cry when he hit, gets hit in the nose. Like he just cries. Like you know, if you were, I don't remember if he cried. It's it just he he reacts like a kid. Yeah, it's really funny. And then so you know, Paul is acting on pure like anger and temper and he, he hits him and it doesn't do him any favors with Susan who he's dating and Susan basically falls for Josh after that. Honestly, I think the fallout when he turns, you know, she he breaks the news to her. She doesn't believe him that he's a kid, but then she sees him and he's got the big suit on still. And she does a wonderful job as much as we talk yeah. about Tom Hanks evolving from the kid to the adult, but still a kid. What a wonderful job she does from the beginning of the film She's great. To the end where she softens and then gets all the way to the point where you almost feel like you can see the 13-year-old girl inside of her. Totally. And, she, and she's not the most desirable I mean, personality-wise. Like She doesn't present herself as this like loving partner. It's like, why is Josh chasing after her? But it's because he's never had a woman before. But he's he's taken by her because she does end up softening through his youthful exuberance, I guess. And, yeah. But through the avatar of an adult. you know. So it's just, I don't know. I do like that algebra scene too when he helps. Them. I love that algebra I, scene. I like that. Yeah. Larry Bird scores this man or whatever. Yeah, That's yeah. algebra. I think I think my favorite scene in the movie is when he gets his first paycheck. Oh, that's hilarious. It just takes me back to a time. And I deal with this with my kids all the time. Like if they get like if grandma and grandpa come in town and they give them like $10 for a birthday and they look at that $10 bill. Right. And they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and like the fact that they're both looking at that check I mean, he reads it out like $170 yeah. or whatever the amount is. $187. And, and just his mind is blown. Yeah. And that they did exactly what any of us would do totally. with that paycheck. They went out and bought silly string pizza how about john lovitz though right when he screams 187 dollars like yeah they really screw you don't yeah. they it's that like you get both perspectives well you brought that up earlier about it's constantly showing you in all of the scenes the adult world and the kid world yeah and it does a nice job sometimes it's forced like that yeah but which works still because it's funny because it's real it's, it's true more subtle totally yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, the confab at the bank about how they want their money oh, denominations of how they hundred dollar bill 87 singles oh, it's so funny <laughs> and three, and three quarters yeah, or whatever <laughs> <laughs> I hope Max is listening to like it was 37 cents. He is listening and saying three dimes, a nickel, two pennies, two dollars. Oh, yeah. Anything else? I mean, I, I don't know. I think another just small. I like the way Robert Loja's character is just taken by Josh. Not, you know, after the piano moment, which is huge. And that's obviously the iconic moment of I would have mentioned that if not for it being a sacred cow moment already. I mean, obviously, the best scene in the movie is the piano scene. Um, 
But anyway, I digress. I the how Robert Loja is just fascinated that he's got at his company. He, it's almost like oh, how did I walk into this human being? I, I'm so lucky to have him here. This guy who just knows everything about toys, and he's I, I don't know. I I just love the relationship, and I think that it works really well through the movie. Part of it that's kind of interesting too is that the guy who's the CEO of a toy company gets it. Totally, totally. He gets it. He gets it. The value proposition that Josh Baskin brings to the table, like he fully understands it and embraces it all the way back to when he ran into him in the hallway. And and Paul's like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you could use some hustle. He's like, I hustle. Uh, Bruce, I think we've done an outstanding job, if I do say myself, of talking about the movie Big. Well, you have. Well, I, I would say, as I told you before, the bar is so low. Uh, for you to reach. So, Max, I hope you enjoy your vacation. Feel free not to come home. And that takes us to our Buzz in the Tower fan spotlight. This week's Buzz in the Tower fan spotlight is none other than Christopher Lopez, huge fan of the show, Bruce. I mean, huge fan. My old uh, partner and social media manager, by the way, you'll be taking over that as well. We'll fill you in on how to do it later. Max, uh, constant communication with him, always getting great feedback on the shows, always following along at home. So I'm very interested to see what he had to say, as I know this is one of his favorite movies of all time. So with that all being said, let's see what Christopher had to say about Big. Hey, Buzz in the Tower. This is Christopher Lopez coming at you from West Sacramento, California. This week's spotlight is the movie Big. And man, I could not be more excited. Big is one of my favorite movies ever. The first time I seen this movie, I was about six and a half, maybe seven years old. And I've been hooked ever since. So I have a couple scenes that are amongst my favorites. And one of them is right when the mailman is approaching Josh's house to bring mail and the dog is there kind of nipping at him. That is just something that's hilarious to me. You don't really see that a whole lot in movies. I was a local mailman here in West Sacramento for about five years, and that was something I ran into on a daily basis. One of the great things about this movie is the power of friendships. I love the friendship between Billy and Josh in the movie. It is something that I can definitely relate to. Um, Growing up, I had a best friend from first grade all the way through college, and we still are in contact to this day. Not as much as I'd like us to be, but that's just what happens when you grow old. Another cool thing that you don't see anymore is walkie-talkies. And when my son first saw this movie last year at the age of six, he wanted walkie-talkies so bad. So my wife and I went and got him a set of Spider-Man walkie-talkies, just like in the film. And he loves them. One of my favorite lines in the movie is by John Lovett's character when he tells Josh... Tom Hanks, see that girl over there in the red? Say hi to her and she's yours. She'll have her legs around you so tight you'll be begging for mercy. And I love when Tom Hanks' character comes back with, well, I'll stay away from her then. But my absolute favorite part of the whole movie is when Josh and Susan go back to Josh's apartment. I love the way he's walking around his apartment, showing her everything like it's the coolest thing in the world. But really, this stuff is only cool and only applies to a 13-year-old boy. And some girls that age probably wouldn't even like half the stuff in there. But that's the funny part about it. And as Josh is showing her everything in his apartment, you can just tell on her face that she is a little surprised and kind of worried, almost like, why did I come here? Who is this guy? And why do I find him so interesting? It's at this point in the movie that I feel like it takes a big turning point where they start to actually 
fall for each other. And it's from here on out where the rest of the movie becomes just a little bit more serious, but in a good way. Every time I watch this movie, I can't help but think about my own time growing up as a kid. And growing up in the early, early 90s, I was one of those kids. I rode a bike. I used walkie-talkies with my friends. We played with super soakers during the summertime and water balloons. And we played with military soldier toys. We just had a blast. And that's one of the great things about this movie. It kind of takes us all back down memory lane. And it's really a snapshot in time on how things were for kids, especially before technology killed everything. Well, guys, that's the end of my spiel here. And I am so grateful and so thankful to be on the podcast once again. Maybe one day I could join you guys live in the studio when I take a trip out that way. So Max and Mo, thank you. It's been real. And to all the Buzz in the Tower fans, I'll talk to you guys in the future. Really thought he did an outstanding job other than he said goodbye to Mo and Max. I don't think he knows that Max is no longer with the show. But other than that, I think a, a really good job. Uh, <laughs> totally forgot about the dog scene. And I agree. It was really funny. I didn't know he was a mailman. That's really funny as well. The walkie talkies, friendship, yeah. um, the girl scene with Lovitz. Uh, we totally forgot yeah, to talk about yeah, that. That, that was, was really a good funny. one. Something he didn't bring up, which we didn't bring up either, the baby corn scene. That, oh, which was improv. Oh, okay. That was all well, Tom Hanks. Well, but once again, it fits that theme we're talking about of just the juxtaposing things that are supposed yeah. to be big in your world, but they're little. I, it's just, it's hilarious. Oh, no, I totally agree. How can we forget the corn? That's like the, the, the most. The way he eats it is just, yeah. it's, That's it's pure so Hanks. funny, man. Pure Hanks, man. Not written anywhere. I do think that the apartment scene, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about either. And just because I'm jealous, I don't live there. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? A theme that you picked up on early, and I think if you now watch the movie through that lens, you'll see it kind of this balance of always showing adult intention, child intention, adult intention, child intention. Is there any other scene where it's better on display? than when she goes back to the apartment. Oh, it's perfect. The, in, yeah. the innuendo, uh, I'm on top, I'm on top whatever, and yeah. he's on the top bunk. And then to Christopher's point, just the pride and joy in all these things that she otherwise has no interest in. But I also think this is an important item. How passionate we are and how much we love what we do is much more important than what the objects actually are. So like, I doubt that she cared that he had a Pepsi machine. I doubt that she cared that he had bunk bed, but he was so excited about it. It almost brings you along on that journey. And that is uniquely a childlike behavior. Totally. Yeah. And I, I am blessed, I think, to bring that to the table occasionally. But when I see it, my kids, I'm like, it's great. Like they are so excited about everything all the time. It's awesome. Nonstop. Yeah. Right. It's like, amazing when kids, yeah, they just remind us to relax and, yeah, and, and be, <laughs> and be hurt, be happy. Don't worry. I hear there's a song about that. Bruce. How do, you, yes. how do you feel? I feel great, Mo. Yeah? Yeah. And it's a little bit stressful for you. Hey, what, what? Yeah, yeah. So anyways. Um, <laughs> no, but anything worth doing is stressful. So I appreciate you having me on. Man. No, this it was, was great. It was my pleasure. You did a and wonderful Max, job. your job is safe. Don't worry. Well, that's false. You were doing great until you lied to him. Uh, so <laughs> no, we will have Max back next week. Bruce will have to go into a decompression pod for about a month, and then maybe we'll have him back on as well. Can I borrow some money to buy that yeah, pod? 100%. Awesome. Now, what we usually do at the end of the show is I give a few reminders. I'll do that right now. If you've not already, please follow, subscribe, leave a review, five stars at Buzz in the Tower 
on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, whatever podcast player you use, we are on it. If you have not yet, check out our social media at Buzz in the Tower. And if you'd like to join our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Buzz in the Tower. With all that being said, at the end, Max and I usually provide kind of a sign-off note on the show. To put you on the spot, you will go first. What is your final thought on Big? And or a quote, and or something funny and silly. Final thought, I just think it's one of those movies that it it brought a lot of attention to an actor that ended up being one of the biggest movie stars we've ever had, and it's fun for all ages. I'll end with, as you wish. That's the Goonies. Inside joke. Inside joke. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Go.